We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. NBA Most Valuable Player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis trailing the lob. Today's episode of the Eurostep is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline.ag is the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day right around the corner, BetOnline.ag has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part? You'll receive 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your literal free money. Plus, signing up is a great way to support the podcast you're listening to in your ears right now. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And welcome to the Eurostep, a Milwaukee Bucks podcast. This podcast is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and this episode is brought to you by our friends at betonline.ag and D1 Training Milwaukee. Now, let's get into the podcast, part of the podcast. I'm here, as always, with Rohan Kadi. We have a lot to talk about, but nothing more pressing than the Bucks coming from behind, beating uh, the a first quarter deficit that folks on Twitter was acting like it was the end of the Bucks season. Just a huge game, not really that huge, but it felt huge. Uh, Rohan, how's it going? How are you doing after the Bucks beat the Raptors, one hundred eight to ninety seven last night? I'm doing pretty good. I'm actually feeling, I'm feeling, feeling really good about this. The other day, I was actually just, you know, on my, uh, on my drive, and I was just thinking to myself, I really need some playoff basketball in my life. <laughs> like the regular season is all fun and nice, but just the excitement and the intensity of playoff basketball is what I was craving, and I feel like that delivered um, in Tuesday's game against the Raptors. Would you say that it led up to the intensity? Yeah, definitely. I was so I was at the the herd game that kind of ran simultaneously. A small frustration with how long NBA games take. Bucks Raptors starts at six thirty. Of course, doesn't really start until like six forty ish or so. The herd game starts at seven, and and the herd wrap up, and there's still like I think eight minutes left in the Bucks game. And I was like, damn. So I missed a lot of the end while I was in the locker room. I did catch part of the last few minutes with DJ Wilson. We kind of watched it together. It wasn't just us, but slight flex. While, while I was interviewing DJ, 
he was like, oh, this is a good game. And I turned around and I saw there was like two minutes left and the Bucks were up by eight or something. I was like, oh, this is a good game. Let me just get one more question and we can watch this. But um, so let's, I don't know why. I mean, I know why it's TV and everything, but it'd be great if every game moved as fast as G League games do. But um, definitely though, uh, early on I was watching uh, more intently before the Herd game actually started. And it, it was scoreless for a while. I think the Bucks were up 3-0 for a few possessions after a Brooke Lopez triple. There was some playoff tightness to start this game, it felt like. I mean, everybody was tight. Nobody looked all that comfortable. And I was hoping the team to go on a run first would be the Bucks, and it did not end up being the Bucks. No, it did not. We ended up seeing Toronto start to go on a run. They ended up building, I think, was a 12-point lead in the first quarter. Uh, which would be their biggest lead of the game, and it just it felt it just felt tight, like you said. Like we had one, it was a nationally televised game, and two, it was the Bucks returning to not uh, what is it, Scotia Bank Arena now? Yeah, I think it's, it is called it's the Air Scotia Bank. Uh, yeah, it truly is, but I believe it is called Scotia Bank, whatever now. Yeah. Well, they went to the place formerly known as the Air Canada Center and um, for the first time since they were eliminated from the playoffs last season. So you had um, like pregame quotes from like Giannis, Chris, Bledsoe talking about how it just like you still when you walk into that building, you feel the emotion, you feel the disappointment that they felt last season. And that sort of played itself onto the court. It seemed like they were being flummoxed in the same ways that they were during the postseason and it just felt like that it was a um that it was a reason that the bucks should be doubted for some people because oh boy it's happening again the raptors defense is solving the milwaukee bucks and that's why as you mentioned earlier that uh, people seem to be realizing, oh wow, that's that's the end of the Bucks. They're they're just a regular season team because they were being faced with that playoff defense again. But then it all changed, and we saw Milwaukee sort of figure it out. Like they they solved it. It took a little bit of for it took a little bit for them to get it under their feet, but they got there in the end. Yeah, they certainly did. I think it helps that Toronto goes from shooting. 40% either at the end of the first quarter at the end of the first half to 34% by the end of the game. The Bucks go from shooting 30% to 33%. So not even a good shooting night for the Bucks, who only make 14 threes, but at least they got it up to close with the Raptors. And we know generally as a rule, if you shoot roughly the same as the Bucks from deep, the Raptors do attempt a ton. 52 attempted threes, they make 18, but they only shoot 34.6%. If you're usually in the neighborhood... Uh, the same amount of made threes or the same percentage of made threes as the Bucks, it's probably not great for you at the end of the day, and that held true in this game. Um, certainly, I agree with what you said. It did seem like the Bucks were were solved. Again, this is like over five minutes in one quarter, but there was definitely some, some latent trauma that set in, uh, like a recollection of like, oh, this is what it was like last time. Giannis is getting swarmed. Nobody else is creating. Chris looked exceptionally tired and off in that first quarter. I mean, we're probably not going to get to it. The Bucks played a, a unfortunately thrilling game in Washington the night before on Monday night uh, that probably should have been ended a little earlier, but they kind of blew a lead there, and Giannis fouls out and everything else, which at least limited Giannis's minutes in that game. But um, the, the Bucks, Chris Middleton especially, and Eric Bledsoe have to play big minutes and do a lot of heavy lifting in that game, and Early on, I was like, uh-oh, this is... So the way I was going to... Well, not not the way I was going to frame it. That sounds a little too callous. But the way I was looking at it was, okay, so if Chris is going to be exhausted all game from, from the back-to-back and playing 40 minutes or whatever last night, traveling, um, that's going to make it very difficult to beat this Raptors team because you need him creating shots and Giannis rolling off him and moving off him to beat the way they're going to defend. But... The Bucks a little bit in the second quarter, definitely in the second half, started to do that anyway, even with the fatigue. And Chris ends up leading the team with 22 points on 7 for 14 shooting, 2 for 4 from deep. Also puts up 8 rebounds, 3 assists, uh, 2 turnovers. He's a plus 6 on the night. He led the Bucks in scoring for once. Giannis does score under 20 points. Rohan, what was your evaluation of Chris Middleton's performance? I thought he played great in what he could do. Um, 
like you said, in the first half, he was sort of not really feeling it, like tired and all that. But in the second half, when he really got going and he really got locked in, it was he was like the savior for the Bucks' offense. Because when there's um, when there's multiple people swarming Giannis, when they're uh, rotating to perfection, let's let's say this: the Raptors' defense is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, they are very um, disciplined in what they do. They know always where they're supposed to be. They're just suffocating defensively. But then when Chris Middleton's on, no, you it doesn't matter. Because when he just gets to his spots and he's going to pull up and he's going to make the shots. And then you can you can play the greatest defense you want. But unless you're blocking the shot directly, you, you can't do anything about it. And then so that means when Chris Middleton's on... It's it's hard to beat the Bucks. So I thought he did a great job last night in the second half, sort of getting the offense rolling, and you know just making shots in general. Because when you're facing a defense like this, just getting your team into a rhythm by just making some shots, it's it's invaluable to an offense. It absolutely is, and luckily for the Bucks, he's been on pretty much all season. I mean, looking at. Chris is per 36 stacked up to some of the best players in the conference, best forwards in the conference, especially. I mean, Chris per 36 this year, 25.4 points, 7.5 rebounds, 5.1 assists, 1.2 steals, shooting 50.8% from the field, 43.8% from deep, and 90.7 from the line. He's just been phenomenal. I mean, that's more points per 36 than any of Jimmy Butler, Pascal Siakam, or Jason Tatum. Uh, more rebounds than Tatum and Butler, more assists than Siakam or Tatum, more steals than Siakam. I mean, you look at these stats and and better shooting numbers than than just about anybody in the league, including all of those guys. Um, he's been one of the best players in the conference. I, I think that that is that is a very fair statement. I don't even think that should be arguable at no, this point. It's not controversial. Yeah, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be controversial. Um, but one of some of my favorite Chris numbers, and I just want to get, just do this now while we're talking about him in this game, is his the splits without, with and without Giannis per 36 minutes, and that's just an easy way to kind of put those numbers in perspective. I mean, obviously you hope he doesn't play 36 minutes without Giannis in any game; they're better with each other. But so with Giannis on the court, Chris per 36, 21.5 points. Uh, 7.2 rebounds, 4.6 assists, shooting 52, 47, 86, 52 from the field, 47 from deep with Giannis on. That is a very good sign for the Bucks. But then with Giannis off, Chris turns into one of the best volume scorers in the league. 31.4 points per 36, 8.1 rebounds, uh, 5.8 assists. So literally 31, 8, and nearly 6 per 36, still shooting. 49% from the field and even 40% from three and making 94% of his free throws. The free throw number is obviously a little bit noisy, but literally goes from the perfect second option with Giannis on, a tight 27 and nearly five on incredible shooting numbers, to a 30 point per game, 30 per 36 minutes, excuse me, 30, 30 point, 31 points per 36 minutes, so nearly a point a minute scoring when Giannis is not on the floor. I mean... We've talked, you know, so many people have talked, us included, about the right guy to put with Giannis. Chris is a superstar, and he is the right guy to put with Giannis. You want to know how I think that I know that Chris has made it? So I didn't get a chance to watch the Wizards game live. Uh, I was following a little bit on Twitter and stuff, and I saw that, like, oh, Giannis had followed out. And then I checked the I checked the box score, and I was like, oh, yeah, Chris just had 40 and led them to the win. Like, I, that, <laughs> that didn't surprise me. Right, just like, oh, just another 40-burger for Chris against the Wizards. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it, it genuinely didn't surprise me. So, like, obviously I'm, like, a staunch Chris supporter, but... It just it, it speaks to how well he's been playing this season. I know you've been vocal about this. I agree with you that Chris should be in the consider like should be all NBA yeah. this season. Because it's just it's undeniable how great he's been this entire season. Yeah, I don't think you can I don't think without lying or just defaulting to reputation without considering what's actually happening. Like, I don't think there's any case for six forwards being better than him in the NBA this season. I just don't think it's happened. No, it's like just consider like just like the casual person comparing like Chris Middleton and Paul George. Like you right. would think that like Paul George would be like, oh yeah, he's going to be the one that gets all NBA over Chris. 
Paul George, he, he's not been as good as Chris Middleton this season. No, not even close. Not and even I think close. that I think some of the issue is we all get so conditioned to look at development and look at players a certain way to where, you know, if you're Chris Middleton, who I think is 28 or 29, like we're, we're all conditioned to not expect that guy to get this much better year to year. And mm-hmm. I think he was very good and still underrated last year. I think he's been way, way better this year than he's ever been before. But it's not like he didn't always have the tools. And this is something I've been saying for such a long time. And, you know, I've been caping for Chris Giannis pick and roll way before it was cool. But always it just seemed like the way he could pull up and shoot, like in such a crisp manner from anywhere, it just seemed like he should be able to do these things. He just wasn't asked to do these things. He wasn't put in positions to do these things. Um, You know, a lot of chefs in the kitchen, a lot of coaching changes, everything else. Nobody until now had really ever put Chris Middleton in a position to be doing this kind of stuff. And he's not really the kind of guy who's going to say, I need the ball. You guys need to give me the ball. You know, take these touches away from Giannis and Bledsoe and, you know, last year Brogdon and before that MCW and Brandon Knight and whoever else. He was never the kind of guy, even MCW, to say, I need the ball. He just does his thing. So, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily that he's gotten this much better as a basketball player. It's that he's gotten better and better and better throughout his whole career. And now he's finally being put in the right positions to do this stuff and finding out he most certainly can do it. So um, I think that's why there's like this cognitive dissonance. People don't expect him to be this good because, you know, they remember when he was a trade throw in and just a three and D guy and whatever else. But make no mistake, he is this good. Like he is an all NBA player this year. Uh, and he's very, very deserving. It's not just because of the team. It's not just because of Giannis. I just have read his numbers without Giannis. They're pretty damn good, too. Um, he's putting up Giannis it's, numbers without Giannis. Yeah, just about. <laughs> just about. 31-8-5 is a ridiculous per 36 slash line. Uh, so, yeah, that's my that's my Chris Middleton rant in, in actual podcast form. Got it out on Twitter form the last few days. But uh, let's move on in this game. How do you feel about Kyle Lowry literally trying to burrow through George Hill? Oh my Hill? god. That was we've seen we've seen Kyle Lowry do some things. I right No, we watched the All-Star game. What on earth was that? I think I tweeted that exact thing. What on earth was that? What are you, what are you trying to do? We all know what he's trying to do. He's okay. trying to get that whistle. He shot six three free throws in the game. Chris Middleton only shot seven. Giannis only shot eight. So he was no, but still like, got the free how throws. How does diving at George Hill's crotch <laughs> getting a foul? I don't. I don't George know. George Hill is standing still. Kyle Lowry burrows his head in between Hill's legs and then sort of vaults him upwards. But then yeah. somehow he thinks that's going to be a defensive foul. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. So I tweeted at the time. Um, I, Chris outgrifted in that game. Chris, Chris did get more free throws. Chris had a couple that were blatant, like just obvious. One of them for sure should not have been a foul, but it got called, and that's that's the whistle teams get. And you know, do am I frustrated about some of these these shooting fouls in general? Yeah, for sure. You know, am I gonna be frustrated at Chris for getting them? You know. That's the way the system is. That's the way we're going to call it. He was tired to sell. The Raptors were getting a good whistle, especially early. If you can outgrift Kyle Lowry, I think you should. So I'm glad Chris did. So I tweeted, I think Chris being better than Kyle Lowry and outgrifting Kyle Lowry just broke his psyche. George like, I think Hill he was, was just outgrifting done. Kyle Lowry too. Yeah, George Hill, 4 for 4 on free throws. He gets those in he, 25 minutes. He had minutes. a couple of plays where it was uh, Kyle Lowry trying to go like – um, over a screen, but George Hill was kind of tight with Robin Lopez, and then he just sort of got caught in between and sort of made contact with Hill, and then Hill sort of like did the Kyle Lowry head snapback, and then got two free throws. The Raptors even challenged that, and it still got upheld. And Kyle Lowry was beside himself. <laughs> that was awesome. Like, like um, this is this is what you do all game. Yeah, it, it is. Um, we should, talking about Kyle Lowry here. He leads the, the game in minutes played and nothing else. Uh, 41 <laughs> minutes for Kyle Lowry, 10 points, 2 for 12 shooting, 1 for 7 from deep, 5 for 6 from the free throw line, 6 assists, 4 turnovers, 1 block. Just a bad game for Kyle Lowry. Um, the Bucks defense absolutely flummoxed the Raptors. And the, the story early, of course, was the opposite thing happening. 
the Bucks figured it out to an extent, and I want to talk about adjustments, but the Raptors never really figured out how to beat the Bucks. I mean, they got some points early. On Alaska high school grad Matt Thomas comes in and hits three threes in 12 minutes. Um, and that's that's one thing. Well, we'll get to a, a Matt Thomas point later. But, I mean, that's obviously a little bit of an outlier. He's a plus 12 in his 12 minutes. A lot of those came early on. He didn't get a lot of run late. But the Raptors starters all minus 11 or worse. Pascal Siakam had the best night, 22 points, 4 for 16, or excuse me, 6 for 14 uh, shooting, 5 for 9 from deep, which is certainly an aberration for Siakam. Uh, he also had six rebounds, three assists, and four turnovers himself, and a block. So the Bucks just didn't let Toronto do anything defensively, and especially in the second half when they tightened up. Were you surprised at how well Milwaukee was able to just shut down whatever the Raptors tried to get going? I wasn't really surprised. The only thing I was surprised about is that they didn't really get it going early on. Because this is this is what we've seen all season. Like, just they, they figure out teams, and then they just suffocate them i think i can't remember i think it was ben thompson on twitter who said he was watching the game with someone who said that um he described the bucks as like a boa constrictor and it was perfect yeah because they don't just blow you out in like quick runs they like slowly eat away at you until it's too too much uh, which I thought that was a perfect comparison. But That's good. I mean, the fully healthy Bucks. let's throw away the Indiana game where they went down by like 35. How often do they ever go down by more than like 12? No, you don't really see it often at it, all. It doesn't. They're almost always in striking distance to go with the snake stuff. Because like, the way they, they defend, it's really hard to go like really crack a game wide. I'd love to go look and see. I'm sure there's an easy way to do that. I'm not going to do it right now. But it just has not felt like even in losses that they've gotten – like it's like the games never feel really out of distance. It's not even necessarily because the Bucks can score so well, but it's really because they they really make it hard for teams to pile on the points. Yeah, no, it it seemed like uh, like you were talking about with Matt Thomas earlier. Like they he was coming off of screens at the top. He was doing Kyle Korver plays. He was doing Kyle Korver things, and the Bucks just they weren't necessarily ready for it. I want to say like Eric Bledsoe, he's great at going over screens and like rear contests. Like he wasn't really doing a lot of that in the first half. And I'm sure we'll talk about it in a little bit because he was too busy attacking the rim offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't getting a lot of that in the first half. He tightened that up in the second quarter. When Dante came in, he was all over the place. Um, it was just, it was more of like a focus and a realization like, okay, we have to lock in and do this to actually beat this team. Because, you know, again, I'll give Toronto credit. They're a really good team. So you have to make the Bucks lock in to actually beat you by double digits. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't really surprising to see the Bucks defense do this. It was just, it seems like the norm at this point, which is insane. <laughs> it really is. And I think, uh, you know, the Bucks just have a lot of, a lot of strength all over the all over the floor and that really helps them crack down defensively and if if you're looking to put on some strength i've got just the place for you rohan did you know that Giannis has added 50 pounds of muscle and counting since his rookie year it's just wild to see that kind of work ethic it is wild and if you want to get swole like the greek freak did both rohan and you dear listener well maybe not that swole but still d1 training milwaukee is the place for you D1 Milwaukee is the place for the athlete, and every coach is either a former collegiate athlete or a former Division I strength and conditioning coach. They know their stuff. The programs are based in sports science, and the facility is state-of-the-art, featuring a 40-yard-long indoor turf field and NFL combine testing equipment that can be utilized for many different sports. D1 Milwaukee offers a team atmosphere and a personalized achievement plan to help you achieve your specific goals. You set the goals, and D1 Milwaukee helps you get there. And you can check it out for free just for listening to the Eurostep. Head on over to their new location in the Mequon Pavilions right off I-43 to get your first workout and a one-on-one fitness assessment, again, for absolutely free. Go hit up D1 Training Milwaukee at 11020 North Port Washington Road in Mequon, right by First Watch, which is a terrific brunch spot to hit up afterwards, and tell them the Eurostep sent you to get in shape like Giannis did for that free first workout and one-on-one fitness assessment. Let's get back to this game. 
uh, Eric Bledsoe is a good touch point, I thought. You know, you look at it after the game, and it's kind kind of underwhelming statistical night. I mean, the plus 11 is nice, but 17 points is good for Bled, but 5 for 14 shooting is fine. 2 for 6 on threes is fine. 7 rebounds is good. 2 offensive, just some a playmaker, Eric Bledsoe is. Uh, 4 assists is good, a steal, a block, 2 turnovers, eh. But watching this game, at least partially, there were times for sure in the first half where Eric Bledsoe was keeping the Bucks head above water, or at least near enough the water to get back above it later. Um, how important did you think he was while you were watching this? I thought if he wasn't playing as well as he was uh, doing in that first half, I don't think the Bucks would win this game. Because what he yeah. was doing is he was setting the blueprint for how the Bucks offense needs to attack that Toronto defense. Because he, he was realizing that when they get in these like um, double teams and scramble rotation, there's no one really planted at the rim. And what he was doing, he was realizing that, and he was just going to the rim when he had the opportunity to. And he was just kept attacking and attacking and attacking. And that's why the Bucks broke Toronto's defense. Because they were just, they realized that if you can get to the rim, like there's nothing that Toronto can do. Toronto's defense is all about preventing sort of um well starting off let's it's preventing Giannis from getting anything going Mm -hmm. uh from having any space but then it's preventing anyone from getting like open threes like they're always rotating perfectly but that doesn't that leaves no one in the middle so Eric Bledsoe's sort of breaking down that Toronto defense was crucial and absolutely necessary for the Bucks to win this game yeah I I think one of the, like uh, out of all the things we've talked about, you know, to counter when teams do this against Giannis and try to take away Giannis and threes, the the Chris Giannis pick and roll was big. We saw more of that in the second half, and that led to some very good results, as it always seems to do. Um, just because I think getting Giannis, and we'll talk about Giannis, but I think getting Giannis rolling when teams try to defend him that way makes it a lot harder to do so. Um, at least if you if you really sell out for Giannis, then you're giving up some really good looks to shooters, but. You're also giving up really good looks to cutters, and that's that's what you're talking about here. Bledsoe did so well, is using that space instead of just trying to get open and, and take a shot, which, as you pointed out, the Raptors do a really, really good job of contesting. Get to the rim. Get to the rim over and over and over again. Leverage all the attention paid to Giannis by both the forward defender, which in this case a lot of times is OG Ananobi, and the big man defender, which in this case was Serge Ibaka because Marcus All was out. So... Those two guys are so concerned with Giannis and, and doubling and whatnot. That's when you sneak around them, through them, whatever you got to do. But get to the rim, get to where Giannis can dump you off the ball. And he's been a lot better working out of the post and everything and finding cutters and shooters. And once the Bucks got that rolling, plus started using Giannis as a screener, it really did feel like this whole game changed. And the highest scoring quarter in the game, the Bucks' third quarter, when they posted 34 points, Toronto did not score more than 27 in any of their quarters, and they were held to 19 in that quarter. That was really where the whole game changed. Everything shifted. The Bucks go in down two, which felt fine at halftime after the teams tied in the second quarter. Then they t- break away for that 13-point lead heading into the fourth, which Toronto not able to really pressure all that much, in part because of Kyle Lowry's meltdowns. But the defense certainly helps with that, but you need to score some points, and the Bucks were able to do so, as you said, for a lot of those reasons. Um, Let's talk about Giannis. 19 points, 19 rebounds, 8 assists, which is like an incredible game for almost anybody. For Giannis, that's an indication he got stymied a bit on the offensive end. He also had three blocks, four turnovers, a team – oh, no, not team high, a starter high plus 13. Um, Giannis certainly early on I think was forcing it a bit. I think as we've seen all season long, Milwaukee came out of the halftime break, came out for the third quarter – with a lot more focus, a lot more determination, and a lot better plan. And I think that's something that has gone under the radar a bit this year. I still see these tweets about Bud never making any adjustments. I don't know, Rohan. Personally, I thought we saw quite a few adjustments made at halftime, and I think they really swung this thing around. No, I completely agree with you. Giannis, he was... Like I was saying earlier, the Raptors' defense was as soon as he would get the ball, whether it's on like the left block, right block... They would just immediately go and send a double, like yeah, without a doubt. Like sometimes before he even got the ball, um, and then that just 
they would just pressure him so much until he's forced to like give up the ball or make like a a tough pass or something. But in the second half, what they started to do a little bit was they started to run Giannis at the elbow, which does not allow you to do double teams. Because if you're going from the left block or the right block, you have, like the Raptors had a third defender, and that was the baseline. Uh, But if you're at the elbow, you can't really send a double team without him being able to split the middle or go to either side or make reads on either side. So once you once you factor in what he did in the first half, which was, you know, like you said, he was trying to force it a little bit. He wasn't getting what he wanted. I think he had like, what, five or four points in the first quarter or something? Insanely. It was slow. Yeah, it was very low. I don't remember the exact number, but that sounds about right. Yeah, it was it wasn't fun for Giannis. Uh, let's see. He had uh, he had five points in the first quarter. Okay, yeah, so a low number. Mm-hmm. Yes, very low for Giannis standards, who's, you know, averaging 30 a game in like 31 minutes. Um, but yeah, it, it, once they once they went into the second half, Giannis sort of realized, okay, I don't need to be the scorer because they're not really letting me be the scorer. So instead of that just taking me completely out of the picture and like trying to force it until something happens, he just became like the best playmaker on the team he just started making insane passes insane reads he was trying to get too fancy a couple of times (laughs) the the, like sort of behind him flip to dante that should have been an easy dunk that went out of bounds that physically hurt me Mm -hmm. so yeah you're definitely right with that another assist where he went no look and it sort of went a little errand but it was yeah he he just turned into a great playmaker like he was um he was reading the game better and just sort of realizing, okay, if Chris is going to take like the scoring burden off of me for the second half, and don't get me like Jan, he still scored like 20, 19 points, like that's that's still decent. Like it's second not second on the team, yeah, like yeah, it helps. It's not Giannis standards, but it's not like he was a complete non-factor on the offense, like on scoring. But when he was just making passes as a playmaker and letting Chris be the primary scorer, that's when they sort of broke the Raptors. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's it's reminiscent to me of someone who could not be farther apart in terms of play type from Giannis, but that's like the greatness of Steph Curry is all the things he can do on ball, like it's possible, and I think we're getting to a point where it's going to be impossible to take Giannis away. I mean, he still has like that turnaround that he's been doing. He he had a couple of those against Toronto, and he hit two threes against the Raptors and ended up being huge difference threes. makers. When's the last time we've seen Giannis hit a corner three? I do not remember. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Neither do I. Yeah, that was those were those were incredible shots. But in terms of, you know, you can go out of your way to try and and, and stop Giannis. We saw the Raptors do it all night. Steph and Giannis both now we've seen. Steph's done it a lot a lot more, but Giannis sort of did that the same sort of thing, even if he's not directly facilitating, using his gravity to move the opposition out of his teammates' way. I mean, there's specific ways you can do that for Giannis. It is just holding the ball at the elbow. Like that's gonna draw enough attention to where either he's gonna have a one on one, which usually he can score because he's the best player in the league right now. Or you do get that that ill-advised double team, in which case somebody's going to be open, whether it's a cutter, whether it's a shooter, somebody. And he is getting better and better all the time at leveraging that extra attention in the looks for his teammates. So a night where he scores 19, he can still be a plus 13. You know, even though he he has a bad shooting night, 5 for 14, I'd wager a lot of those misses came in the, the first quarter and the first half. He's still able to impact the game in such a positive way. And then obviously... His defense, I mean, three blocks, 19 boards, all on the defensive end. That's going to be a huge positive pretty much every – I mean, not pretty much, every single night. No question about it. The most alien Giannis ever looks is when he's uh, going for a chase down block. Yeah. Like, it's just – when you watch replays of that, it's like these are are two NBA players. Like, they have the same (laughs) job. But one of them (laughs) is vastly different than the rest because yeah who, who was it ronde house jefferson who was going was that i couldn't remember who it was but yeah i know the exact players yeah about. it was he's just trying to go up for a layup it's a two-on-one fast break and as soon as you see Giannis's position on a two-on-one fast break where he's the one you know that they're not scoring which is now that i'm saying that out loud is 
just ludicrous. Um, <laughs> but you like you expect it. Like I don't know. I can't get over that block. Like that one, had to be one of the most ill-advised layup attempts I've ever seen in my entire life. Because he he um, shaded back so he couldn't get, like RHJ couldn't get the alley oop to whoever was the other trailer. And then he he forced uh, Hollis Jefferson to go up for the layup, and it's just like, okay, if you're going to go up for the layup, I'm just going to swat it out, and it, you're you're just going to be embarrassed. And it was like it was reminiscent <laughs> of that play last year where he just um, decimated Landry Shamit on the fast break. <laughs> like he just, I don't know, I'm just going on a little tangent. He just looks so much different than the normal NBA player. And I don't know, like, obviously he looks like that all the time against like in like normal game situations. But when he's going for a chase down block, that's when he normal, like he, he seems alien extra like mr fantastic yep. elastic arms and everything he's yeah just, he's no, just I so much agree. bigger than everyone yeah and longer and faster and stronger mm-hmm. um one more starter i mean no 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 shade at west matthews not much to talk about seven points made a three missed four threes fine game west uh brooke lopez good defensively yeah good good de- good defense as always he takes the, he he uh he takes a lot of defensive burden off of chris and Giannis. so Mm-hmm. Freeze no, so yeah very solid game solid not, west not a lot game. of huge moments yeah very solid west game brooke lopez seven stocks in 28 minutes five blocks two steals two turnovers 15 points three rebounds which his rebounds numbers are always laughably low because he's just boxing out so Giannis or chris or somebody else can get one but not an efficient scoring night for brooke he does end up minus two on the evening some of that is he was in there for a lot of the raptors early run uh, Robin ends up a plus 11. We'll get to the bench, but Brooke Lopez on defense. I mean, what a terrific fulcrum for the Bucks defense to move around. It's hard to say enough about his job defensively, and I've been seeing more tweets lately, including some people tagging me. You know what, Ty, maybe you were right about Brooke Lopez DPOY. That guy is a monster down low. I certainly agree. Of course, you're splitting hairs if you're talking about Brooke or Giannis. They're both so integral, but during the regular season all year long, Brooke is literally the centerpiece of this defense, and he is doing an incredible job at being that. Yeah, no, it, it's just insane. Like, I don't, I can't remember. Was it you who tweeted about this or someone else? Um, there was a play late in the fourth quarter where Pascal Siakam's trying to uh, sort of bully marvin williams which i talked about the marv part of it that part was awesome yeah well it ended up working the other way for siakam because marv was taking his lunch all game long (laughs) um but he just like there's like a block attempt like a block or something the shot was altered and someone gets the ball back and then brooke like flat foot just blocks the shot like he's just there was a there was a great video thread from i think i forget who i'll look up while we're talking but yeah go ahead i retweeted it it was just he was, he was like he felt disrespected that that player who I can't remember right now uh, tried to actually shoot the basketball near him. He didn't even need to jump for the block. Like this is part of why the Bucks defense is so great. And I know Stan Van Gundy was um, talking about this on the TNT broadcast, and I, I didn't really get a chance to listen to that broadcast because I, you know, FS Wisconsin for life. But oh yeah, big time. Uh, yeah, Stan was talking about how uh, the Bucks defense sort of works for like a national audience in the sense that while they may concede a lot of open threes, it's to open threes for their non, like the opposing teams, not as good shooters. But what they're mainly doing is they're taking away uh, shots at the rim and they're taking away free throws, which are the two most efficient shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you you live with taking out two out of the three of the top three efficient shots in the game. And that's why the Bucks defense has been so successful. And that's because of Brooke Lopez just being a monster at the rim. Yeah, I found the clip. So Nakaya shared the clip and just called it why the Bucks are good in seven seconds. It's OG Ananobi who first gets blocked by kind of a combo of Brooke and, and Giannis. I, I don't know who they gave the block to. Um, and then he, try, he gets the rebound, tries to go up again. And Brooke, without really jumping, just like slaps it over to Sergi Baca. And it's a 24-second call. That might, actually might not even be it. He looks like he kind of jumps on that one. It might be another one too, but yeah, he he he'll disrespect you if you don't come correct. Like he won't feel the need to jump if he can tell you're not going to get enough. He's just 
He's so smart. He's so good with his hands. I mean, seven stocks in 28 minutes is just remarkable. He always is getting his hands in the right place. Hopefully someday the officiating catches up with how good he is and stops calling fouls on so many clean, clean blocks. Like, he should have way more blocks than he has right now. Like, I think the his blocks per game would be dramatically different if he didn't get all these fouls on clean blocks. But Brooke Lopez, again, just... Just uh, an absolute force on both ends, really. I mean, when they need him to be, he's a force on the offensive end, too. But defensively, whew, good luck scoring in the paint, going toward Brook with the honest coming behind you. Not to mention Wes Matthews, Dante DiVincenzo, Chris Middleton, George Hill, etc. Wes, uh, whoever else I didn't say, I forgot someone. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> defensively, I mean, that, that I think that was a large, large reason the Bucks win tonight. Whenever you hold a team to under 100 points, you probably have a pretty good shot. Yeah, and I think uh, one place we can go from this is just talking about Marvin Williams in general. Yeah, like, yeah, we got to talk about the bench in general, Marv, everybody. Yeah, so Marvin Williams was, as I alluded to earlier, just put the clamps on Siakam. Like, he was, like, how old is he? Like, 37 years old or something? Or, no, there's no way Marv is that yeah, old. I, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Okay. Uh, but he, yeah, the, he, he's in, in, in Hornets years, he's older. In but. Old, Hornets years, he's like 70. But He's 33. <laughs> so I was a little off. But, Slightly. Um, um, but yeah, he was just being an absolute monster defensively. Uh, and that's what we were hoping for when he came in. And that's why he was playing over Ursan. Like, Ursan didn't play. Like, how much do you think it hurt Bud to not play Ursan at all? Yeah, that was that's honestly the most important bench mob takeaway. A bad game for Dante. Well, scoring wise, he was really good at everything else. There I mean, was five one point, play where boards. he got like an offensive or two offensive rebounds within like Serge Ibaka and Pascal Siakam and like OG. Like Dante's going in and getting two rebounds when those three Raptors are there. So that was incredible. And he's he, a difference maker, man. He is. He just has such a feel for the game. And I know it's, it sounds cliche to say like that he just plays the game really well. He sees the game. But it really is what he does. And it's it's just remarkable to see how much of an impact he can have on a game when his shot's not really falling. I mean, the combo of Marvin Williams, George Hill, and Dante, I think the three best bench players, the three bench players who played the most in this game, I mean, Brooke, uh, Robin Lopez up there for sure. But those three recorded seven steals in the game. Two for Marv, two for Dante, three for George Hill, who he played pretty well as well. Um, but Dante, 0 for 4 from deep, 1 for 6 from the field, kind of an aberration. But 5.7 rebounds, three offensive, three assists, two steals was a plus two on the night. But we definitely need to talk about Marv getting all of the backup power forward minutes and I mean, it's more than he plays with Giannis sometimes too or whatever else, but this is big. I mean, we're, we talk all the time. We're looking for things that we can take away that, that might matter more later, even more than the Bucks beating the Raptors. You know, what happened during the game is probably going to be more important in terms of that ultimate goal, which of course is the championship. Bud is not married to Ursan anymore. I mean, the Raptors are a team that they're not going to play two plotting big guys next to each other at all. You know, they start Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet on the smaller end, Serge Ibaka at center, and then they're three and four, OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam. And usually you're going to see like some Norm Powell. Uh, you're going to see Mark Gasol, but he doesn't really play with Ibaka all that often. Um, so you're not going to have a plotting guy you can put Ursan on. You're just not. It's not going to work that way. What does Bud do? He just says, all right then, no Ursan. We'll play Marv instead. And that's heartening for me because you can say, well, it's only a matchup thing. It's only against teams with big mobile wings. Guess what? All the good teams are going to play big mobile wings. The Celtics are going to play a bunch of big mobile wings. Their center is basically that. You know, uh, you look at all the all the teams who are going to really threaten the Bucks. Like the Heat aren't really going to run around with two centers. and I don't think they're going to really threaten the Bucks. But regardless... Um, whoever they match up with in the finals, whether it's the Lakers or the uh, the Clippers, there's going to be a lot of bit good mobile big wing players. What we're seeing so far, and it's just one game, but what we've seen right now is Marvin Williams is going to get the nod against those guys. And as you already pointed out, defensively, offensively, finally gets hot from deep, knocks down three threes. The results look pretty good so far. They they look amazing. Like usually, bio guys don't really have a significant impact on teams. I think I can't remember. I saw there was this uh, 
um, study about like tracking how bio guys perform on uh, contenders, and they don't really usually have a massive impact. I think Marvin Williams could be the exception to that because he just he fits in so perfectly with this team. He is exactly what this team needs, and he's he's playing really well. And because he's playing really well, the team plays really well. Like what else could you ask for? Like he took out the biggest weakness in the Bucks rotation, which was that Ursan Ilyasova is not a great defender. Um, am I am I wrong in saying that was the biggest weakness in the rotation? I don't think so. Um, certainly, uh, I will say like he's decent if you have like a slow plotting for which nobody has anymore. Yeah, no, that doesn't but exist. Every other situation, no. Yeah, yeah. So what you did is you took what was your weakness. And you turned it, you not only mitigated that weakness, you turned it into a strength. Because Marvin Williams is in, has been playing at an elite defensive level ever since he joined the Bucks, which I know, small sample size in that. But it's just been incredible. Like, this this team has no gaps. No, and now, I mean, some of the lineups that, that Milwaukee can throw together in crunch time, you can either stick keep with Brooke at the five if that's going well. If the other team is getting a little too stretchy for you to feel comfortable there, you can put Giannis at the five, Marv at the four, Chris at the three, and then pick whichever two of the other guards you want to go with. I mean, it could be Bled and West. It could be Dante in there if he's having a good night. It could certainly be George Hill. I think we can expect George Hill in a lot of those. George Hill has shown he can certainly be a closer on this team. Um, there's just more options now, more good options. I mean, those lineups are going to be... Well, I, we haven't really seen them in, in large samples yet, but that is going to be uh, something else to watch. So, yeah, I would say I called it, and I got a little flack from this already, I called it the, the best move any team made in, in the midseason. Not just at the buyout, not just at the buyout market, but in terms of all the, all the players, teams added at the trade deadline, at buyouts, whatever else. I think that this is going to be the best, the biggest move. Obviously, guys like Marcus Morris, D'Angelo Russell, Robert Covington changed teams, and the Rockets certainly have a case because their their whole year shifted as well. Rocco is is on the list, but I, I think if I think if those more shift in playing style for the Rockets yeah, rather was, than the addition it, of the player. True, but I think like you can't just not play Clint Capella. Like that, that just wouldn't wouldn't That's make fair. any sense. And and they kind of need Rocco to be another big. Like they didn't really have enough big wings to sustain that in in large samples. So I think that that's big for them. That's gonna that's been a good move for them. But if Marvin Williams, like you said, mitigates the Bucks, probably their most glaring weakness in their rotation, turns it into a strength, gives them more lineup options, not just on the bench, but with their best players on the floor. I mean, if that swings a title, which maybe it will. That is uh, kind of hard to argue that it's not the best move if it's the one that results in a, a championship. Yeah, Iggy looks washed. Marcus Morris yeah. might take away some possessions from a Kawhi and PG. My favorite quote, it's Marcus Morris time. <laughs> Marcus Morris. <laughs> oh, that never gets old. Um, then the Western Conference Finals is going to be, it's Marcus slash Markeith Morris time. Marcus mm. slash Markeith Morris. Yes, I can't wait till they switch teams in the middle of the series. They're just going to hijack the whole series one way, mm. and it's going to end up being Marcus versus Markeith for the, to see who gets to get beaten by the Bucks in the finals on June 4th. <laughs> yes, and what are we, 99 days away, 98 days, something? Can't come soon enough for Yes, it cannot come soon enough. Do you have any uh, other thoughts on this uh, Raptors game? Well, we're 46 minutes in, so <laughs> I think I'm good on Raps six, uh, Raps Bucks. Excuse me. Um, I think the Bucks made a statement. They're they're gonna beat these good teams. They I have think, a lot of good teams down I think the stretch. I tweeted I tweeted this out after the game, but I'll say it again. The Raptors made the Bucks work like we haven't really seen all season, and they lost by double digits. Yeah. Yeah, on a bad shooting night, bad Dante game. And, oh, one thing I want to talk about the, about this game. I've seen some on the timeline. It would have been different if, if Norm and Mark Gasol played. Well, sure, Serge Ibaka was bad. Mark Gasol probably helps a bit. But the guys who played for Norm, Matt Thomas in his 12 minutes sinks three threes. Terrence Davis has a good game. Combined, they shoot 40% from deep and score 19 points, four assists, uh, six rebounds, and a steal. So those guys at least played really well. In, uh, in Norm Powell's absence. And again, I mean, Dante has a bad game. Statistically, the Bucks don't shoot a lot of threes. They didn't look right early. They were clearly very tired. Uh, Wes Matthews has a bad three-point shooting night. George Hill at least was the NBA's leading three-point shooter. He has a bad three-point shooting night. 
Chris only attempts four threes, which is low. There's a lot of things that could change in a, a perfect world in a vacuum if this game was played. I certainly would not say that that the, those two Raptors playing swings the whole thing over. It's a different game, for sure. That stuff matters, but there's always going to be stuff like that in any given game. What matters is who actually won, and that was the Bucks. No, for sure. I agree 100%. It was a fantastic game. Uh, moving on from this game, do we want to quickly touch on the 76ers? I know we're getting pressed for time here. Yeah, I mean, quickly we can touch on it. We talked a little bit about, especially you did in the, the Bucks starts here. I mean, the Bucks are, are better. They're yeah, better than no, the 76ers, it, it was, too. It was what we thought would happen. They sh- Like you mentioned earlier, uh, when team shoot around the same from three as the Bucks, which the Sixers did. They only made one less three, 13, compared to the Bucks, 14 in that game. Um, and you're going up against the Bucks defense. You're not really going to win, like, ever. No. And, no, it's almost impossible. No, especially when you have, like, Brooke Lopez, Robin Lopez, Giannis up against uh, Embiid, who, um, like, is the Sixers' best player, and, like, he gets stymied. Uh, but of course, he can go off for a career high against what was it, the Hawks? Um, and absolutely love mm, yeah. it. But when it matters against the Bucks, he doesn't really show it. I mean, that's not <laughs> my place to say. Uh, but <laughs> you you even see like Glenn Robinson. He plays. They'll wait until the uh, 76ers get some uh, wings or some guards and two can uh, space the floor. Uh, he has a grand total of six points, zero for three from distance. And Tobias Harris, they're supposedly better than Chris Middleton player, has 11 <laughs> points in 30 minutes, shooting 30% from the field, 0% from three. Um, and, you know, it's just like their their world beater defender, Josh Richardson, nine points, minus 17. Like, it's, <laughs> what, what do you do? You're fifth in the East. You get demolished by first in the East, who's a historically great team. There's not really much else to say there. There's not. Uh, noted Giannis defender Al Horford gets cooked some more. Um, just that, That's just a joke now. Like, that's not that's not a thing anymore. Even if he has a little bit of help, Al Horford is not doing a damn thing about Giannis anymore. That's done. That was two years ago, maybe. That is certainly not a true thing anymore. Um, but, Ty, I was told that Al Horford would mitigate Brooke Lopez on the interior and get him out of there and then defend Giannis, and then they would win the game. That's what I was told would happen. Some, uh, was I lied some, to? Some people who must have missed the infamous Hawks Cavs series where Tristan Thompson literally became Al Horford's father. Um, yeah, Al Horford, not the greatest track record against big, strong uh, centers. Yeah, no, this was, and of course, I mean, we, we're, we haven't talked about it yet. I mean, Ben Simmons gets hurt early because the Sixers are playing him through a back thing. And now, of course, they're saying this was an entirely new injury that happened during the game on a relatively. I mean, lackluster foul from Robin Lopez. I don't even really remember the foul. I don't uh, think it, it was the wasn't... foul. I think it was more like how Ben Simmons like hit the ground. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. It was, but it, it was it, a he fluke. Didn't, it was a fluke. He didn't get thrown down to the ground. No. Though. And he was hurt going in. <laughs> yeah. He had back stuff going in. He missed mm-hmm. the right, first game after the All Star break yes. with that. Uh, the and Sixers medical gonna, team is added again. Added again. He's going to get reevaluated in two but weeks. But he's not going to play means. in two weeks. <laughs> no, no, clear distinction. He's going to get reevaluated in two weeks. Um, from what I've read so far, from much smarter medical people than I am, they're calling it an impingement. But that that could be it could be just an impingement, which I guess is like kind of like a a soreness or something being it's, out it's of place mean, on the it back. It means that sort of uh, something like whatever nerve is being impinged upon, like something is sort of in its area and sort of affecting its function. And they're not saying what that is. No, or so like, there could, it, it be could be a, a different thing causing it that could be worse. Yes, and also there's a, a wide range of severity. And yeah. it, whatever whatever reports are out there give basically no details because, like I Which said... Which is classic, yes, 76ers. Yeah, 76ers medical staff at it again. I just want to say, I hope Ben Simmons gets oh, healthy. of course. You know, no, I, we I always, the, we I always want, wish the yeah. best for the players. Like, I, I I wish Ben Simmons gets healthy. I want I want to see him healthy and playing basketball. That's that's obvious. And I want the Bucks to beat everyone at full strength. But the it's just disgusting the way that Philly... Puts, plays guys through injuries over and over and over again and either misdiagnoses or doesn't share the real diagnosis with people, with media, with whoever. Um, it's, it's just ridiculous. I've, I've read Kyle Newbeck's piece on this, who's been covering Philly tremendously for years. He's at Philly Voice right now. And he echoed the same things. And it's, it's always very vague. 
things don't add up. We'll get conflicting reports with earlier stuff that's come from the Sixers. It's obviously happened with Embiid, very, very well publicized when I think he played through uh, something in his his knee or his foot, and it ended up being a lot worse than it was. I forget exactly where it was, but I know that happened. Um, I think we saw that earlier this year with Embiid playing uh, where his hand was clearly still pretty hurt, but he's out there. We kind of we went over our conspiracy theory for that one, but who knows? But it's just Markel like this Fultz. has to stop happening. And Markel Fultz <laughs> is the other one. And I, I'm sure Sixers people could probably name even a few more. Ben Simmons. <laughs> ben Simmons now, Ben Simmons earlier. It's Yeah, it's – I mean, injuries happen sometimes. Who was there? You know, you, was you it, just was have it on to the do. 76ers last year who their rookie had like – an allergic reaction to something that they gave oh, him and like lost yeah, like Zaire all, Smith, yeah, Zaire Smith like almost yeah. died because he oh like gosh. in the Sixers care and then he'd like lost like fifty pounds or something and somehow yeah, played some the disease. same season. Yeah, I don't it's and it's just like I, I just don't see what the point is. Like you're not gonna gain a huge bump in the standings. You already I think passed Indiana. Um like wh- why? Why why play Ben Th- Simmons in this game? Two, well, af, right after giving him a game off after All-Star break. Of course, he plays in the All-Star game too, which is questionable. But um, I just don't know why. Like the, Of course, you want to beat the Bucks. Of course, like the Bucks want to beat the Sixers. But they're certain, the Bucks aren't going to play anybody through injury for any reason in the regular season. Probably not, not even in the playoffs. But certainly not in the regular season at all. It just doesn't make sense. We've seen Chris, Giannis, and Bledsoe miss significant stretches. George Hill sat out for a long time. Dante DiVincenzo has missed time. The Bucks just aren't worried that Kyle Korver gets days off. Brooke Lopez got a day off. I feel like we haven't seen Kyle Korver playing forever. Yeah, it's been a while. Hopefully Kyle Korver, nothing's wrong there. Hopefully he's just old. I think but, it's just soreness. Yeah, just yeah, overall, I mean, I, I don't overall think I'm, old. I'm, I'm kind of sore. I'm not even, I'm not nearly as old as Kyle Korver is um, yet. But yeah, I don't know. It's just ridiculous that that keeps happening to uh to Philly, and it's, it's they, they keep doing like they're, they're. I think there's certainly some some involvement there. I don't think this just keeps happening to Philly. I mean, like rest your guys if they're not healthy. Let them get right. Exactly. It's it's frustrating. It's very it's frustrating. very frustrating. But you know, like at the end of the day, for this game, the Bucks are just better in general. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good yeah, way to they, wrap it they up. They just are. You you, it is. you don't really need to say much about um, this game because the Bucks just they're better like we're not going to talk about how the bucks just like dominate the pacers as like a big deal or how they dominate the orlando magic as a big deal because they're just better and mm-hmm. that's the same case with philly there's just a narrative around philly um that's not our, yeah. that's not our fault <laughs> um i'm excited no it's not i'm excited for this harder part of the schedule here at the end because i've been convinced this whole time that 70 is very much within reach because i, I agree with you and what you said on on the last pod this is good for the Bucks. Let them play some good teams. Let them get ready for the playoffs. Let them prove themselves. They've got less wins versus teams above 500 or playoff teams or whatever than a lot of other contenders. They haven't played that many, and, and two ugly losses came in the first four games. This team is rolling now. I think they can beat anybody. I think they will beat everybody at least one more time for the rest of this season and, and really cement themselves as the top dog. i got to share this stat. Um, that, that I put up last night, and I was kind of worried I tweeted it too late and it wouldn't catch anybody's I, but it did actually blow up at least slightly. Two teams in the NBA and G League combined have fewer than, thank you, Frank Madden, fewer than 10 losses at this point in both of those league seasons. The Milwaukee Bucks and the Wisconsin Herd, who next pod we really need to talk some more Herd because they've been phenomenal. Unfortunately, in the news, more for Chase Buford's rant and suspension than anything else. Um, but both of those teams with fewer than 10 losses, the only teams in their leagues to be at that spot currently. Just a ridiculous run of success for the Bucks organization to have both the, the NBA club and the G League club dominating the competition night in, night out, all year long. No, it's fantastic to see. And I think on that note, we can say that it's it's great to see that both of these teams will be covered at length on this podcast, the Eurostep. And if you hopefully... You enjoyed listening to this episode of the Eurostep. Uh, one thing we do is we talk a lot of basketball in our Discord channel, which we didn't really mention in this podcast. I think for once, yeah, I think this is the first time in a while we didn't really mention our Discord, but I'll mention it now. We just have a bunch of great conversations, basketball, like Bucks, uh, normal NBA, just everything in general. We're a great community. If you want to get involved, send me or Ty a picture of you listening to the podcast, and we'll make sure to get you in there. Um, and while you're just, you know, supporting the pod in that way, 
support the pod by leaving a great review on Apple or iTunes and uh, subscribing on your podcast platform of choice really helps us out. And if you're doing that too, well, you're just incredible. Might as well just listen to all of the other podcasts on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Hopefully we'll have some good guests soon from across the network um, as we have in the past. But I can attest that all of the podcasts are fantastic. And hopefully you just support the rest of the network like you continue to support us. And from me or Ty, we want to thank you again for listening to this episode. And we will talk to you next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.